wandering She's been wandering We were going down to the riverside Welcome to Cheese Underground Radio. I'm Jeannie Carpenter. Thanks so much for joining us. Today we visit the Caves of Faribault in southern Minnesota, home to some of the best blue cheese you've ever tasted. We talk with cheesemaker Jeff Jurek and plant manager Jill Ellingson and hear what it takes to age cheese inside a natural sandstone cave. Stay with us. It's buzzing in my Today's Cheese Underground Radio is sponsored by Dairy Connection Incorporated, supplier of cultures, enzymes, cheesemaking supplies, and trusted expertise since 1999. A family-owned business based in Madison, Wisconsin, the dedicated Dairy Connection team takes pride in its commitment to be the premier supplier to artisan, specialty, and farmstead cheesemakers nationwide. To learn more, visit dairyconnection.com. Earlier this year, for the first time, I visited the legendary Caves of Faribault, a cheese factory perched on the edge of a river bluff in the heart of Faribault, Minnesota, less than an hour south of the Twin Cities. Faribault is the definition of Midwest nice. It's a kind of place where folks who watch you drive down their street more than once will amble to the curb, motion you to roll down your car window, and ask you if you're lost. It's the kind of place where a cheesemaker is willing to give a cheese geek a tour of his award-winning blue cheese factory instead of attending his hometown Faribault Flannel Formal, an annual spring fling where the locals dress up in their finest flannel and bring their meatiest hot dish to see if it takes first prize at the Lumberjack Hot Dish Contest. I'm talking, of course, about cheesemaker Jeff Jurek, the man who brought the caves of Faribault back from the brink in 2001, after the previous owner closed the factory and abandoned the caves to instead make blue cheese at a more modern facility in a different state. Today, Jeff and his team make some of the best blue cheese in the United States. And while he was happy to give me a special tour of the sandstone caves that make his blue cheese famous, He was not super keen on having a bunch of recording equipment trail him around in the dark. That's why we met again a few days later to talk for Cheese Underground Radio. And this time, he drove my way to my favorite little tavern in Monroe, Wisconsin. Hi guys, welcome to Bumgarner's. Uh, what can I get you today? Um, let's do, since we're in Baumgartner's, let's do a round of spotted cows. That sound okay? That sounds great. All right, I'll be right back. Thanks. While we waited for our beers, Jeff shared with me a little history. Today, the caves of Faribault are perhaps best known for making an aging ama blue, which was the first blue cheese made in the United States. It was created at the caves in 1936 by Felix Fredrickson. In the 1930s, Felix traveled to Minnesota in search of St. Peter Sandstone. Geologically rare across a nation, but abundant in Minnesota as a result of the last glacial age. Felix found the abandoned caves that had been carved in the 1850s for Fleckenstein Brewing Company, which prior to modern-day refrigeration, used the caves to store beer at cooler temperatures. Well, the cave started out as a brewery in like 1856. And so then they made really great beer, which is really funny when you think about it. Here we are sitting in a bar. But uh, they were making beer before Minnesota was a state. 
we people from Fairville to have our priorities, right? And um, so in 1908, the brothers parted that were making beer there. And then when was Prohibition? 1918? When Prohibition came, they quit making beer. And then it, uh, they made glass there for a while. St. Peter Sandstone makes great glass, so they made bottles. And then in 1936, Felix Fredrickson, who happened to be a food chemist for Kraft from Wausau, Wisconsin, fun coincidence, um, bought it and began making blue cheese there. It was America's first blue cheese plant. Wow, it's pretty cool. It is. It's really a great story, and it's true. That's my favorite part. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you hear so much marketing BS. This is it's, it's just a real thing. And so why, um, t- why did the so talk about a little bit about the caves are made out of? They're they're carved out of sandstone. Yes. And why why is that important? And or why would you ever want to? Why would you want to age blue cheese in a sandstone cave? The thing, Jeannie, about St. Peter sandstone that's really unique. It's only found in like five states. It's unique to North America. It's 99.9% pure quartzite, so it's hygienically very, very clean. And yet it supports microbial populations and it absorbs ammonia. There's a, um, as blue cheese ages, it gives off a little bit of ammonia. We've all had Stilton, a very ammoniated blue. Well, the distinctive thing about an American blue, the way it was fashioned at the caves was it has a distinctive white background and it has a true piquant, P-I-Q-U-A-N-T. Piquant differs in what many of us think it's supposed to mean. It's not supposed to be a yuck, it's supposed to be a pleasant sensation that just disappears. You know, if you blow in your hand, it's gone. And not an herb or what it passes for blue cheese flavor in most dressings today. So that's what that cheese was famous for. And the St. Peter sandstone, as Jill can attest to, it smells like beach sand. It just cleans up the flavors of those cheese. Now, you have to remember that prior to the 1930s, all of the blue cheese consumed in the United States was imported from Europe. World War II put constraints on importation. So when Felix started making blue cheese, it was immediately a hit. He called his blue Ama Blue by taking the Ama, A-M-A, from Latin for I love, and B-O-U, blue, as international spelling of blue. Between the 1940s and the 1970s, Felix and his company Treasure Cave Incorporated oversaw many more caves hollowed out of the sandstone bluff. In the 1980s, Jeff was hired by the company then running the caves. But it wasn't necessarily his first career choice. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay, so the whole thing started because I graduated from school in December of 1979 and uh, moved back to the family farm and uh, after seven days of being back home at morning milking dad informed me that uh, I couldn't hang around there anymore I had to find a job so he called his friend at Minnesota Job Service and they found um, a job for me working at what was then the cheese caves uh, under a different name and uh, I got a job there scraping mola off of blue cheese for the princely sum of four fifteen an hour. Ooh, big bucks. Yeah. And after a couple of weeks, they found out that I had a degree in biology, so I was moved into the lab. 
At that point, we were owned by Swift and Company, a great company. Swift and Company moved me out to Wausau, Wisconsin in 81, and I was fortunate enough there to grade with people like uh, Bob Ashbrook and some other great graders. We were associated with Marathon Cheese as a co-packer, and uh, I worked to get my Wisconsin Cheesemakers license under Roger Knopsinger at Hamburg. Did I over-answer that question? No, that was good. <laughs> Treasure Cave ended up closing down in Fairbolt in the 1990s because the company that had bought the caves moved production to a conventional cheesemaking facility in another state. Jeff moved on too, but he never forgot the blue cheese he had made in Fairbolt. With two partners, Jeff got the opportunity to purchase the old blue cheese factory in May 2001. He renamed it Caves of Fairbolt and spent months and months bringing the facility back to standards. Today, the business is owned by Swiss Valley, but Jeff and his team still make Ama Blue, the original blue cheese aged in the famous St. Peter Sandstone Caves, as well as Ama Blue Gorgonzola and St. Pete Select, a super premium blue cheese. The cheese plant and caves are managed by Jill Ellingson, whom Jeff refers to as the current keeper of the caves. Do they have a, do they have a name badge that on it for you? Keeper <laughs> we, of the caves? We're going to have to look into one of those. <laughs> Jill grew up on a dairy farm not far from the factory. I did. I was born and raised in Fairbolt, um, home of the caves of Fairbolt now. Um, my grandparents actually used to deliver milk in cans there um, in the 1945 era. And uh, my dad and his, my uncle actually also took milk there on their way to school when they were in high school. That was their, their morning chores as well. So I was also born um, in Fairbolt and we raised dairy and swine, milked cows our entire life before leaving to go to college in the Twin Cities area of Minnesota. So um, left Fairbolt for a while, college, starting having kids, moved back home to family and uh, then came back into the egg sector, um, into Caves of Fairbolt as a controller and moved through to operations and uh, have been the plant manager for the last couple of years. So what's a cheese making operation like at Caves of Fairbolt? Jill gives us the tour. So we are currently um, working off three open table cheese vats. We have two fresh milk, raw milk silos at our plant and uh, we have a production team of about 10 people. We typically make about six vats a day. And then we take and hand salt that cheese the next day after it's put into circular hoops, at which time we hand salt that cheese twice, not once, but twice, two days. And then we punch it and send it out to our caves. And I think the funnest part of our tour is, is after the second salt in the, in the punch room, where we actually are able to open that door and say welcome to the caves when uh, we are showing people around our facility. So the cheese is punched and then we have three cure caves that our cheese is aged in for about 20 days. And then we put it into our colder caves where it's stored to age out to its uh, blue cheese at 60 days and gorgonzola at 90 days. Of course our St. Pete Select is aged for more than 90 days, 100 days actually, um, before it's graded to the premium cheap blue cheese that it is. So, And then it goes off to packaging where it can make its way to the retailers and to consumers. So how many um, 
in, during our tour, you were very nice and. Uh, or from Minnesota. Eh? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the heck you think in there? You know, but you you led me through the whole series of, of caves to the point that there was going to be absolutely zero way I was going to find my way back it's to the front door. Pretty confusing, isn't it? So I really appreciate you not abandoning me or shutting the lights off. Yeah, that would have been a, <laughs> yes. that been a also that. So um, so how many? Tell me, like, how many fingers of this cave exists? Like, how many do you think it started with, and how many have you added on, Jeff? We we've, we have verified that. The original cave was swirled out of the bluff. The, we have um, hand-drawn paintings of Fairbolt from 1840s, and it shows the river clearly going along that bluff, and it swirled in that eddy, if you remember, as you came around the silo. So the original cave was all natural. They put a door on it, and boom, that's it. We have a picture of um, Felix Fredrickson in that cave in 1936. And it's still that original cave. What happened when World War II came along, they needed all of this blue cheese production because imports were halted. And so then they started digging the additional caves by hand. They'd make cheese in the morning while it was cool, and in the afternoon they'd go out and pick the caves. So, yeah, and you saw what a massive undertaking that was. So in my, when I started there, we had nine caves. And then while I, in the time that I'd been there and back and stuff, we added four or five more. I think we've got 13, right? Yep. Yep, 13 caves. And you didn't, you didn't hand pick yours, No, right? well, modern technology being what it is, we um, actually set up uh, lasers to guide what's true at the peak and at the hips. And then they used jackhammers, which was a little quicker. And carrying it's it out. still pretty time intensive, though. Yes. Uh, at one of the points in our history, they estimated that the replacement costs of those caves would be like thousands of dollars per foot, just because of the way they're established. And how far underground are, are we? 162 feet to the peak of that one that you were in. It didn't. It, didn't it doesn't seem feel that like that because you're walking into a bluff, and the bluff is undulating above you. But we verified it with some technology. Hey. <laughs> Um, I gotta admit, it's it's very very cool walking into your cheese aging caves and knowing that I'm I mean I'm trying to think of how many other underground like true caves there are in the right. United States. Gosh, Jeannie, I I'm not aware of any. The only caves I've seen like them are over at Roquefort, and that's how unique they are. Yeah. But that's why they're such a huge part of being an American cheese. Well, I'm getting I'm getting goosebumps again just thinking about being down there and how how lucky and how nice you both were and, and given given me the tour. And surprisingly, when you talk when we talk about all natural and walking into the Cure Caves, the the smell. Do you remember the smell as we walked into the Cure Cave? Very sweet but very clean, but just that nice sweet blue smell um, on entrance to to our Cure Caves. And if you like blue cheese, you absolutely love the smell. Um, if you're not a fond of blue cheese, it, it you know it's it's not as pleasant, but um, it's it's not only that sweet blue, but it's just how clean it is. There's nothing more. There's nothing less. So, I asked Jeff and Joe if they'd ever gotten lost in the caves. So have have either one of you ever gotten lost down there? I was uh, back in the old. No, go ahead. <laughs> oh, it seems like you both might have a story. <laughs> well, I, 
we haven't shared this part. Um, no, so in the old, old days, um, in 1985, we were uh, having a contest to kick off with our sales force. Swift, uh, at that time, we were still Swift and Company, um, the expansion of the caves. And so we, in the back cave, in the subway, we set up a big, long table and all the salespeople from all over the United States came in. So we were drinking wine and having a good time. And I was leading a tour and uh, I wanted to show them what it was like without the lights off. So we shut the lights off and somebody screamed. Some people get really scared when it gets dark and they get like claustrophobic. So I went over there to help her and then I couldn't find the stupid lights. <laughs> so it was like, this is a bad situation that's rapidly descending into deep, deep, deep. And that was probably the most panicked I ever was in the caves. But then there was when we were cleaning the caves out. So the guy that had owned the caves and the, while they were down was and he was using it just for storage, he evidently decided you didn't have to pay the energy company money. So it took, they didn't want to turn our power back on for like three months. So we just bought a generator and you know, what the heck, we had a big long cord going to the caves. And what, as luck would have it, I was the last one out that night. And rather than have my flashlight, which would, you still have a flashlight sitting on your desk, that's testimony. We always used to carry flashlights. Somebody near the entrance kicked the generator. So I had to find myself all the way from the very back cave all the way to the front. I, I only hit my nose three times. <laughs> but it was just funny because, you know, the first few times down there, Okay, I'll make my way out of this maze. <laughs> I don't know. Well, once you're down there, they all kind of look the same. I'm sure once you're working there, you can tell how they're differently. But just me passing through, I don't know. All those, all those fingers, they're all got the same arch, and they all yes, they all have blue cheese in them. Yep. And uh, <laughs> gosh, <laughs> what a concept. Yeah. I'm grateful neither Jeff nor Jill let me get lost in the caves of Faribault. The caves are truly a special place. They're home to amazing cheese made by good-hearted people. Do you remember how much you smiled when you were on that tour? Yes. Well, part of that's because there's a laughing gas coming off of the cheese, but the other part is it's just, it's just naturally got a great vibe. It, it's true energy. It's hard, to, it's hard to frown in the caves. Our program today was produced by Uriah Carpenter, who, unlike Jeff, doesn't mind it when strangers get in his personal space. Actually, I'm a hugger, so I kind of like that. <laughs> Our theme music was composed and performed by Point Five, one of my favorite local bands out of Mineral Point, Wisconsin. So that's it for today. Thanks for joining us. Be sure and catch us next week for a brand new episode. Until then, you can keep up with me on my blog, cheeseunderground.com, and on Twitter, at CheeseGeek. Have a great week. Today's Cheese Underground Radio is sponsored by Dairy Connection Incorporated, supplier of cultures, enzymes, cheesemaking supplies, and trusted expertise since 1999. A family-owned business based in Madison, Wisconsin, the dedicated Dairy Connection team takes pride in its commitment to be the premier supplier to artisan, specialty, and farmstead cheesemakers nationwide. To learn more, visit dairyconnection.com. <laughs> oh, and we're a bunch of characters. We have a good time. We love what we do, and we feel it's a cool thing to be an American making great cheese that competes on the world stage. So, 
That's what we do.